Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today I'm joined by Clarky once again. Mate, welcome back. Hey, Guru. I think we got through pretty unscathed for our first two teams. We got the Raiders today, and maybe this will be our first controversial uh, best 17. Mate, I'll tell you what, uh, reasonably unscathed. If, if I got a dollar for every time someone reminded me that Jonathan Thurston actually played for the Bulldogs, I wouldn't have to go to work tomorrow. It's been unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were so many people commenting the same, but... As you know, under our selection criteria, it's, you know, where the player played their best footy. And Jonathan Thurston, whilst he did win a premiership with the Bulldogs, I don't think too many people remember him for his time there. It's always going to be Jonathan Thurston alongside the Cowboys. And, mate, I guess this is where it becomes important, just a reminder for our criteria today, because um, for this team, it is critical. Now, obviously, all of our sides that we're picking, they're from 98 onwards, the NRL era. So if you were playing for the Canberra Raiders in 1998 onwards, you were available to be selected. And we, we decided that we're going to pick these guys. If you played from 98 onwards, but you did play your best football before 98, we've included you in that criteria. And that's going to be critical for this Canberra Raiders side, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely going to be critical, especially for the Raiders, because there was so many positions that were really subjective. They were so close that it was super tough to make this one. But yeah, remembering the criteria, guys, I'll just quickly run over it for our listeners. Um, Number one, players are selected where they played their best footy. Number two, the player must have played NRL 98 onwards. Number three, your team structure must make sense. Number four, selected players are assumed to be at the absolute peak of their powers in their prime. And um, number five, all selections are our own and our own personal opinions. And, mate, obviously with this Canberra Raiders franchise since 98, I mean, they were so successful in the early 90s, mid-90s, uh, 2000s, not much doing, uh, you know, mid-2010s, not much doing once again. Uh, they made it to the grand final in 2019 against the Roosters, the only grand final they've made in this time. So our side is sort of a big hangover of that early 90s side and then the more modern team. There's only probably two or three guys that have floated in between. So it's a really interesting make-up, this Raiders side. And, I mean, I, 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 before we sat down tonight, I thought, oh, I'll just write down five or six guys that 
uh, have been unlucky not to make this side. And, mate, I've got about 12 names here. So this one was extremely tough. I think it makes it harder when teams haven't won a premiership during that time. I mean, the Canterbury side, they obviously won in 04, so we could look back at that. The Broncos team, they obviously won, I think, three premierships in, in that time. So it definitely makes it more difficult when they haven't uh, lifted a trophy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. This Raiders side is really a team of two eras. Like you said, some from the late 90s and then a lot of, you know, their modern team from around the 2019 grand final. But without a premiership, you know, that's ultimately why you play in the NRL. You want to win a comp. And when you have a team that hasn't won a comp, um, it does make it hard as to where to select the players from. And I think that's why people will sort of look at our Raiders team and go, yeah, well, this really is a team of two eras. For sure, mate. And when we kick off with the Canberra Raiders side, um, our fullback. Now, this is a guy that uh, still played 98 a couple of seasons after that. He won a few premierships early in the 90s. In fact, won a premiership in 2002 with another club. He moved to the Sydney Roosters, Brett Mullins, uh, the Green Greyhound, an absolute champion footballer. Some of the stuff he was able to do, unreal. I mean, there's that, that one try where he chips over the top. He, he gets a little half volley, he chips again, and then he goes and scores. Just so many moments from Brett Mullins that realistically only Brett Mullins is able to do. Yeah, Brett Mullins reminded me a lot of, you know, your Nathan Blacklock, those players that just had incredible speed that they only needed a half opportunity, a small gap in the defense to get through. And the, uh, the try you're alluding to there, absolutely, I remember that try. Uh, that was the Billy Slater try before the Billy Slater try uh, that Billy did a few years later there in Origin. Really tough one to pick with fullback guys. We did weigh up Clinton Shafosky, but ultimately we went with uh, Brett Mullins. Just His X factor was just off the chart. And as I said before, you give him a half an opportunity and he could come away with points every single time. Mate, let's dive into our wingers. Uh, one guy that's still playing right now, Jordan Rapana. Now, at his absolute peak, uh, he was unbelievable, Jordan Rapana. Some of the stuff he was able to do, uh, often when he was partnered with uh, Joey Leilua, these two, um, I, I forget, what, what, what do we used to call them? Leipana? They, they were just incredible together, weren't they? Yeah, Leipana for me, that was the most exciting edge to watch in rugby league. They, they always were just so dangerous. Some of their highlights, just incredible offloads. They had this real synergy together where they were just always on the same page and just made them so exciting to watch. And he's a guy, mate, that obviously he left a couple of years ago. He went over, I think he might have gone to Japan to play rugby union, uh, made his way back. But it's it's his career at the start that's even more interesting. I remember Jordan Rapana when he went to play for the Brumbies. He essentially got rejected by by them from memory, ended up in the Canberra Raiders, and he's turned out to be one of the best wingers they've ever had. An unbelievable story. Yeah, Rafana was one of the ones that we locked in pretty much immediately on our wing, if I remember correctly. Um, I do remember as a Titans fan myself, he was with us in 2008 and he was one of those players where, you know, he, he probably wasn't going to hit his peak at the Titans, but he is still one of those players you look back and go, damn, I wish we could have hung on to him. Um, he has been one of the Raiders' greatest ever wingers and yeah, we definitely had to lock him into our side somewhere. Mate, we've seen a number of fantastic Fiji and wingers come through our games, and this is one guy that I think is extremely underappreciated, Ken Nagus, uh, a guy that obviously played it for a number of years at the Canberra Raiders, started in 92, played all the way until 2002, scoring 60-odd tries. Now, this is another guy that probably played his best rugby league just before 98, but was playing at that time. What are your memories of Kenny Nagus? Yeah, Kenny Nagus was the Fijian flyer and, you know, the blueprint for so many wingers. Just today we saw Mike Acebo score his 50th NRL try. He became the third fastest um, player to reach that milestone. The two players ahead of him, Vunavalu and Rajraja, also explosive Fijians. 
When I think of rugby league players, and in particular outside backs, mainly wingers, the Fijians do it best. They're just so exciting to watch. And Ken Nagus really, really laid the blueprint for some of these young guns that we currently see. Mate, let's dive into our centres. And for me, I had three names here, and we had to narrow it down to two. I'm still not sure if we've got it exactly right. If someone was to tell me the guy that we've left left out, which is Joey Lewis, should be there, I probably wouldn't push back on them too much. But the first guy we've chosen is the fellow that, for me, he's been pretty disappointing this year, but over his entire career, Jared Croker, he, for so long, was the most underrated player in our game. And, you know, the more and more people call him underrated, the less underrated he becomes, obviously. I feel like time and everything he's done over the last few years has finally caught up to him this season. But some of the moments that Jared Croker has provided us with have been simply incredible. Yeah, Jared Croker is one of those players where, you know, our criteria is at their absolute prime. And in his prime, he is selected on this list. But he's also, I believe, second all-time in scoring across the whole NRL. He's either first or second for all-time games for the Raiders. When it's all said and done, he will definitely go down as a club legend. Probably a few years ago, I remember having a conversation with one of my friends. What would Croker need to do to be considered the greatest Raider ever? And obviously, he would have needed a few more premierships at this stage of his career. And it's unlikely... He'll be considered the greatest, especially when you go back to their team in the early 90s. But overall, Jared Croker, one of the greatest Raiders ever and someone that we didn't really have to question coming into our side. It was more so the other centre. Who fills that role? I think we were pretty comfortable in locking Croker into that centre role. Yeah, and mate, I, I, I look at Jared Croker's career. I mean, he's he's been playing since 2009. And up until this year, he only had one season where he played less than 22 games of first grade. I mean, the longevity of this guy and just the, he is always on the field for them. He is always producing for them. He's been a brilliant player. And I remember him as a very young bloke playing in that final series. I think it was 2010. And he missed a really crucial goal. I believe it was against the West Tigers or maybe the Parramatta Eels. He missed a really easy goal. And you could just see how much it shattered him. And for him to build himself back up from that moment, like I remember this bloke, he just copped so much shit for a couple of years there, calling him a choker and all this. The internet was all over him. For him to build himself up and become the leader of that club that he did, I thought it was a sensational effort. Yeah, definitely. I do remember that period where everyone was calling him Jared Choker, the trolls, etc. But, you know, he faced the adversity. He came back a better player. And, you know, he probably doesn't still doesn't get the respect he deserves from Raiders fans realistically. Um, just for the fact that, you know, he built... He, the Raiders probably wouldn't be the club they are today without him because he has been there for so long. He has been consistent for so long. He's been their captain. He's been their goal kicker. Although he hasn't been in a spine position, I am more than comfortable in saying Jared Croker has been so integral to the Raiders. The only really you know downfall or, or area where I feel sorry for Croker, you touched on it earlier, because he's been labelled underrated for so many years, even myself now, I don't really perceive him as underrated. Um, and that's purely just because we heard for so many years Croker is so underrated it's sort of gone out of fashion so to say and mate it's amazing like normally when you hear someone called underrated you might hear it for a year mate he was called underrated for six years it was unbelievable it's it was just a tag that wouldn't go away for the poor bugger and I know it doesn't really count towards this lineup but also just as far as the Raiders go I mean, could you get a better bloke? He has just been sensational off the field for so long. He's been the face of the Canberra Raiders for so long. He's never put a foot out of place. He's been sensational off the field, hasn't he? I love players like uh, Jared Croker's, your Morris brothers, that never have the off-field discretion. A leader on and off the field. Um, two highlights for me for Croker. Um, a disabled fan in a wheelchair uh, was calling out, Jared, Jared, can I get a photo? He jumps up, runs however many stairs he had to in the grandstand, gets a photo, 
gives her his jersey. Um, another time, um, a father reaches out to Croker, hey, my young son, my young son is um, doing it tough. This is what he needs. Croker, um, he asked Croker to send him a video. Croker rocks up on his doorstep with a signed jersey, signed tee, and um, says, get in, you know, spends the morning with him before school. An incredible man on and off the field. Mate, without a doubt, that stuff matters, definitely. Let's move to our other centre, mate. Um, an interesting pick here, but we simply had to have this guy in the team somewhere. And look, uh, another one that if you, if you were to tell me we've got him in the wrong spot, I probably wouldn't push back on it. But Jack Whiten, he's a Dahlia medalist. He's a Clive Churchill medalist. Obviously did that at 5'8", but good God, they've had another handy 5'8 in their history, which we'll get to soon. But Jack Whiten, I, I think he had to be in this team somewhere. It couldn't be at fullback. Couldn't be at six. I think it has to be at centre, doesn't it? It has to. I think under our, I believe it's our third rule in the criteria, team selections and uh, team build-up, sorry, must make sense. Jack White at centre does make sense just because he is so versatile. This centre spot was tough. You have players like Joel Monaghan, BJ Leilua, and they were definitely in contention, but ultimately we had to find room for White somewhere, and it just made most sense to put him at centre. And, mate, I guess a lot of people would probably be thinking Jersey 14 might have been a better fit. But once we get to Jersey 14 and go through the guys we had to choose from there, I mean, it was an extremely t- tough gig. But we had to have Jack Whiten in somewhere. So we've got him at setter, partnered with Jared Croker. Let's move into the halves, mate. And uh, our six, Laurie Daly, club captain for a long time, a sensational player, uh, one of the best we've ever seen. Uh, a guy that obviously came through the same era as a, as a champion 5'8", like Brad Fittler and a heap of other guys. Another guy that I probably think is a little bit underappreciated as far as the history of rugby league goes and the role that he played in so many premiership winning sides. Obviously didn't win a comp from 98 onwards, but uh, the few years before that, Laurie Daly, he was just on another level, wasn't he? Absolutely. Under our criteria, there's just no way you can leave Laurie Daly out of this side. Incredible at Spento, incredible at 5A. Um, just, you know, an out-and-out rugby league player. And when I look at this modern Raiders side, because we did say at the start this side is a mixture of, you know, two errors. Probably the player that he most reminds me of is Jack Whiten. These two have so many similarities in the way they ball play, the way they take the ball to the line, the way they're always dangerous and they're always a running threat as well as a passing passing threat. When I look at the current team, um, Laurie Daly reminds me a lot of Jack Whiten. And Laurie Daly, mate, obviously uh, had an amazing career, but it was definitely helped by the man that was wearing the seven for the majority of his career, Ricky Stewart. And as you just said, Laurie reminds you a lot of Jack White. And geez, it'd be scary to see what Jack White could achieve with a Ricky Stewart in his team. I've said for a long time, I think Ricky's got the best all-round kicking game I've ever seen. Uh, There's obviously after him came Joey, uh, came JT, these sort of guys. But you look at the footballs that they were kicking. You look at the... You know, the the brick, essentially, that Ricky Stewart was putting into corners. Uh, he was just an incredible footballer, Ricky Stewart. His kicking game and his passing game, second to none. I think it's really underrated and underappreciated the sort of football that Ricky Stewart was using during his era and the control he had over it with his pass and his kick. He's just like no one we've seen, in my opinion. Absolutely. And with the current rule change, with the game speeding up, becoming more frantic, teams would love to have someone like a Ricky Stewart that can just calm it down set the pace uh, via his kicking game. But, you know, we even saw um, today, the Knights, you know, stuck in their own end. They couldn't get their forwards, couldn't get the roll at the middle. That's when, you know, back in the day, someone like Ricky Stewart would get the ball and he would put in a powerful kick and start to control that football game again via his kicking game. And that's something only the great halfbacks are able to do. When you look at the current structure and the current um, halfbacks that are in the NRL now, there's probably not too many that can do it. 
Um, you know, Mitchell Moses, for me, he, he was the obviously the other halfback today, but I rate him as a top five halfback. I don't think his kicking game now is as good as Ricky's was however many years ago. And that's a true compliment to Ricky Stewart that his style was not only perfect for the game then, it stood the test of time. And, you know, whilst the blueprint is there, this is what you need to do to be a dominant halfback. Not many are able to do it as well as Ricky does even to this day. And, mate, you have a look back. Obviously, before the Roosters did it a few years ago, they went back-to-back. The last team to go back-to-back was the Brisbane Broncos. They went 92-93. Uh, and you have a look at, have a look back at that 93 season. The, the Canberra Raiders, they are just about unbeatable, an unbelievable season. Ricky Stewart is playing out of his skin. And I believe they came up against Parramatta in the last two weeks of the season. And Ricky Stewart broke his leg, so he missed the last few weeks. And the Canberra Raiders went from unbeatable to going out in straight sets. And on grand final day, Ricky Stewart, he went and got his Dalian medal that day as well. I mean, dare I say, if Ricky would have played that day, I probably, I'm probably tipping that he collects his Dalian medal and his Clive Churchill medal and a premiership. And then, of course, 1994 comes around the year after and the Canberra Raiders win the premiership there. So all of a sudden, it could have been Ricky Stewart's Raiders that were the longest team to go uh, with a back-to-back premiership. It, uh, I think that 93 season, it is critical as far as rugby league history goes and this injury to Ricky Stewart, I think it really could have elevated him as far as the immortal argument goes. I can't argue with what you've said. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that rugby league's a funny game. You look back in history like that and it's the small things that, you know, the history books will show us the Broncos won that year. But, you know, the historians will be able to tell you, well, this was a big factor. This is something we need to consider. And, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. You know, Clive Churchill would not have been out of the grasp of Ricky Stewart. He was such a great leader on the football field. And for me, it really shows in his coaching. He's probably one of those players that uh, if you did play with him, you would understand now why he is a successful coach in the NRL just for some of his leadership qualities. And when you have a look at these two halves, mate, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, obviously they win the 89 Premiership. Uh, they beat the, the Balmain Tigers there. They go to 1990. They knock over the Penrith Panthers there. 1991, they return to grand final day. They get done by the Panthers. 92, they're not there. 93, they look like they're going to be unbeatable. He gets injured. Then 94, they win the premiership again. So in that, you know, five or six-year span, there was three premierships there, potentially four. An unbelievable run for these two. And the combination they had, the pass, the long passing game that these two had, I mean, you watch those old tapes and, the ball is just going from sideline to sideline in about five seconds. It was simply incredible from these two. Mate, let's dive into the engine room, uh, led by two of the most ferocious blokes I've ever seen on a rugby league field. Two front rowers. The first one, still a modern-day champion, Joshua Parley. He's obviously going to miss game one in State of Origin, and it's going to be massive for Queensland. But for the Canberra Raiders... The thing that I always remember with Joshua Parley is in the big games, finals footy, this guy, he just always manages to score a, a crucial try, doesn't he? does. He, he scored so many crucial tries for the Raiders leading up to their 2019 grand final. I believe it was the preliminary final with the game in the balance and he crashed over. Um, you go to the Maroons' uh, comeback uh, that, although they didn't get the victory you know, you had the Ethan Lowe uh, conversion which I believe brought scores level in Origin Game 3 um, I believe it was not last year the year before but people forget it was actually the Josh Papali try before that again so he's had some incredible moments in his career. The one thing I love most about Big Papa Bud is his career hasn't been without adversity as far as on the field is, that is. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, he played so many seasons at back row and it stopped to work for a while, he gets dropped. He comes back as a prop, it starts to work really well, then he gets dropped for a few weeks again. And the fact that, you know, he's faced that adversity in the field, but he's always come back a better player. He hasn't dropped his head, he hasn't kicked stones. He's worked on what he needs to come back 
And, um, you know, all, all last year, I'd probably say Josh Papali was the best prop across the entire NRL. And I think also, mate, just as far as adversity goes to, I mean, this is a guy that there have been few times in his career where I've looked at him and thought, oh, he's injury-free right now. He seems to play through so many injuries constantly. And, I mean, when he was rested a couple of weeks ago or dropped or whatever you want to call it by Ricky Stewart, obviously a, a little bit of an outburst from his wife, but I think it showed, you know, just how much this guy has played through over the last few years. Yeah, he's been the heart and soul of the Raiders for a long time now. He's probably one of those players, you know, he's been there for about the same length as Jared Croker, maybe a little bit less, but although he's never had the captain next to his name, he has, for most of those years, realistically been their leader in the forward pack and has always led by example, um, played through injuries, given so much to this club, and um, he will go down as one of the greatest Raiders also. Mate, the next man on our list, uh, we picked him in the front row, Ruben Wiki. Now, Honestly, we could have picked this guy just about in any position outside of the spine. He was just incredible. Started his career in the centres. I believe he played the 94 grand final in the centres. Slowly made his transition into the front row and then obviously moved to the New Zealand Warriors after this. But, my God, this bloke, Ruben Wiki, I remember as a kid watching him and like I was scared in the grandstands of this bloke. He was unbelievable. Hey, Ruben Wiki is the greatest enforcer I've ever seen play rugby league. Um, even now, he is still ripped. He was still with the Warriors as a coach um, a few years ago. And I actually remember being in a game with my mother at Seabus, and she actually thought he was going to play. That's how in good Nick he still was. But for me, yep, absolutely the biggest enforcer. And the thing I always used to love about Ruben Wiki, whether he was playing center, prop, wherever it was, his workload was immense. He was never content to let the game come to him. Ruben Wiki, he always went and found the game. And he found it was so much aggression. And often it was intimidating for the opposition, just how bad he wanted it. Mate, I remember one night, I think it would have been 06 or 07, and they were playing the Roosters. This wasn't for the Raiders. This was, this was for the New Zealand Warriors. And, they, and they, the Warriors had a blackout night where they asked all the crowd to wear black. It was a real sort of intimidating factor to it. And I remember Sia Soliola, I, I think he returned it off the... I can't remember if he returned it or, or, or if Ruben Wiki returned it. You might remember, but... Mate, I just remember this contact between Ruben Wiki and a young Sia Soliola. He almost put him into next week. It was terrifying to watch. Terrifying when you also consider that Sia Soliola is probably the Raiders' biggest enforcer now. He's an enforcer in his own right. But if my memory serves me correct, Sia Soliola playing centre for the Sydney Roosters. Yep. Ricky Stewart, the coach at the time, which is now his Raiders coach also. And Ruben Wiki, um, I remember watching a highlight of this where he spoke about it. He said he felt the crowd's energy and he just felt this thing come over him and yeah he just charged back off the kickoff and the contact he hit Sia Soliola with I'm prepared to say that's probably the biggest contact I've ever seen in rugby league mate incredible and I mean as you said you know this isn't just some you know some some average center out there playing for the Chooks this is Sia Soliola tough as nails now mate I'm gonna just shock our listeners beyond belief and I'm gonna remember to name the hooker this time uh, one guy that we looked at was Simon Wolford he obviously was a Canberra Raiders hooker for a long time I had him on the podcast last year a champion bloke but I think the modern day hooker uh, obviously at a bit of a crossroads at the moment but there was a stage there at his peak, Josh Hodgson, where I believe he was at the same level as Cameron Smith at that time. Josh Hodgson, an incredible buy for the Canberra Raiders. When you go back to the start of this year, um, I can't remember which expert it was, but there was um, someone from Channel 9, it might have been Peter Sterling. He come out and said that Josh Hodgson is now the best hooker in the NRL. So he is in a bit of a tough spot of form at the moment. 
But overall, when you go back to our criteria, yes, Simon Wolford did almost play 200 games for the Raiders and, you know, 13 years or something there. He was incredible for them for so many years. But at the peak of his power and in his prime, Josh Hodgson is one of the greatest hookers I've ever seen play the game. The way he controls it from dummy half, it reminded me a lot of Cameron Smith. He could affect the game's momentum and the speed that it was being played at by the way he would come out, engage the markers, and get someone like Josh Papali on the front foot immediately. Then in turn, that would allow Josh Papali to find his hands and knees. And then Hodgson just had a knack for picking exactly which side he needs to go. He'd dart out, scoop up the ball with one hand, and all of a sudden the Raiders would have this incredible wriggle on, and they'd you know make 80 metres that set like it was nothing. Mate, oh, I felt really sorry for Josh Hodgson over the last year or so. Obviously, he got injured last year with an ACL, uh, and that was just as these rule changes had happened. It was now a completely different game. It was always geared to a running hooker now, and then all of a sudden a Tom Starling comes in. And um, Look, for, for me, I think Josh Hodgson is the better footballer. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But based on the modern game as it was last year when everyone was still adapting, Tom Starling was probably better suited to the game. And I think it sort of it sort of pushed Josh Hodgson to the side because for so many years we looked at the Canberra Raiders and thought they're nothing without Josh Hodgson. All of a sudden he steps yeah. out of the building for a couple of months and this Tom Starling comes in and absolutely brains it. I, I think he's been very unlucky over the last year or so. Yeah, definitely. The timing of his injuries and everything has been unlucky. This is probably a little bit left field, but with him, you know, recently speaking about potentially wanting to leave the club, um, I think Josh Hodgson could sign somewhere like the Bulldogs and potentially play 13. He's always defended in the middle, so I feel like he will have that defensive aspect about him. And I feel like the ball playing could potentially help alleviate the pressure of a lot of inexperienced cards in the NRL but with that being said, if Josh Hodgson plays nine in the future, um, you know, his mould is different to what the modern game demands, but it can still be effective. Maybe not as effective in the past with that being said. Mate, I respect your opinion there, but I'll tell you right now, if the Canterbury Bulldogs sign this bloke and they don't play him at hooker, good God, they have completely shit the bed there, I reckon. I reckon it's the one piece they're missing. And I reckon they're a real shot to get this guy as well. I reckon a fresh start and a team that's willing to say, here's the keys you take us forward, I reckon it'd be unreal for him. But he has got that ball-playing ability where he could jump into 13. We've seen it for the Canberra Raiders uh, this season a little bit, but it's pretty obvious that that balancing act with Tom Starling, I don't think it's working for the Raiders, is it? No, it's just not working at the moment. There's obviously some unrest there. He's very upset with how they've treated George Williams. And maybe to counter what you've said, maybe Hodgson starts at nine and someone like the Bulldogs do sign a zippy little hooker in 14. Hodgson starts the game at nine and maybe spends a little bit at lock yep. when the Zipia hooker comes on. Potentially that could work also. Meet in the middle there, maybe. Mate, for sure. And uh, you just mentioned uh, an, another Englishman that's left recently. We just brought, talked about Josh Hodgson. In the back row, we went with two Pommy fellas. One is John Bateman. Now, this is a guy that, mate, I, I remember looking at the start of last year and I had just drafted this guy in, in my super coach team and I, 
I then did a bit of research and had a look at him and watched him play. He was impressive, but, you know, it was the English Super League, so I was sort of like, oh, geez, I don't know if this guy's going to be big enough to handle himself. And then I remember I saw a photo of him at Canberra Raiders trading alongside the rest of their pack, and, mate, he looked like the smallest bloke out there, and I just went, oh, my God, there's no way this guy can be successful. And I'm not sure if I've ever been more wrong about anything in my life. This guy... He, he was unbelievable for the Raiders, and now that he's left, I think it shows even more just how valuable he was. Well, he was so valuable, and I, I was in the same boat as you, I've got to admit it. When I did my Raiders predictors lineup that year, I think the first time I had him in reserve, and the second time I shifted him up to the bench, but I did not see him having much of an impact at all. I was actually probably higher on Ryan Sutton at the time, which whilst he is an incredible player in his own right, I think now the proof is in the pudding. Bateman definitely is the better of the two. And his loss for the Raiders has hurt them in so many ways. When he was on the field, the whole Raiders team lifted with him. They played with more determination, more grit. They had more desire when John Bateman was there because he was able to influence them um, you know, and, and lead by example, like someone, another Englishman, like Sam Burgess, for example. But now that he's left, that is a big part that is missing from their game. Um, the other team scores to try, and we're seeing the Raiders this season sort of drop their heads and, ah, oh, damn it, this is getting tough. Whereas, you know, Johnny Bateman would be there screaming at the lads, come on, let's go, I've got the next hit up. And, you know, you can just look at their squad now and look at their side last year and see they are missing John Bateman immensely. Mate, I remember when he first arrived, he'd only been here for a couple of weeks, and I, I had Brett White on my podcast. It was my first ever podcast. And I remember off mic at the end, we sort of spoke about Bateman and, um, Brett didn't really know much about him. He didn't, you know, he didn't really dive too deeply into him. He sort of, I, I got the impression he thought the same as me, that he's not going to be big enough. And then I remember nine months later, Brett White came back on and we were talking about this guy in the same breath as Ben Kennedy, as Sonny Bill Williams, just a culture changer sort of guy. The impact he had in a short span of time was unbelievable. And the other back row that we chose, another one of his good mates, Elliot Whitehead, uh, a guy that, I mean, he's one of those fellas that you look at stats and, I mean, you probably don't have him in the top 20 back rowers in the game off stats, but this is a guy, he just never puts a foot wrong. He is pushing up on each and every play. He's tough as nails. He is reliable as all hell, which matters more than ever right now, in my opinion. Elliot Whitehead, he has been incredible for a long time. And versatile. He's been able to play in the middle and play tough when he's required. He's been able to do a little bit of ball playing. He's been able to play center. Um, but most definitely, he has played his best position for them in the back row. A player that, you know, very similar to Bateman in the fact that he has that desire. And, he, you know, he puts his heart on his sleeve. And he, he goes out and he tries his hardest every single week. Elliot Whitehead, the way he plays, probably reminds me of a younger Alex Glenn at the Broncos. He's up and about. He's always there about. But as you said, his stats don't really fill up the... Um, the stats board, so to say. When you look at, you know, Elliot Whitehead um, on statistics and his averages, they are lower than what you'd expect from a back row. But it's all the things that he does in the game um, off the football, you know, the decoy runs. And, and that's all the sort of stuff that, whilst it doesn't fill the stats, um, his Canberra Raiders teammates most definitely appreciate it. Ricky Stewart obviously appreciates it. Um, and it's one of the reasons why he's found himself in our greatest lineup. Another thing that obviously doesn't show up in stats, mate, but he seems to be a real locker room guy too. Like, I know it's all not pretty there at the moment, but he seems to be one of the main voices in the locker room. I imagine yourself, you live down there in Canberra. When I, when I have to go there, I mean, there's nothing worse than going to Canberra. It is boring as all hell. This guy, he just seems to gather the troops constantly. 
absolutely. I remember when his scooter got stolen a few years ago and the team actually all pitched in to get him a new scooter for his birthday. And when it was his birthday, you know, they came in with the birthday cake and all the boys were getting around him. And, you know, teammates don't do that unless they love you. So they obviously didn't love Elliot Whitehead. He's definitely a locker room guy. And um, I'm just very glad he got his scooter back. Mate, let's move to our lock forward. And another guy that he didn't play a heap of footy 98 onwards. He obviously moved to the Canterbury Bulldogs with Ricky Stewart uh, in the 99 season, I believe. But Bradley Clyde, uh, one of the key clogs in those premierships in the early 90s. An unbelievable footballer. Another guy, I feel like I'm using the word underrated, underappreciated a lot, which has just been the reality of a lot of Canberra Raiders players. But this is a guy that... As far as the immortal argument goes, I think he should be right up there as well. I believe he's got two Clive Churchill medals, which, you know, one was in a losing team, one was in a winning side. But, I mean, when you have a look at the team he was in, Ricky Stewart, Mal Meninga, Laurie Daly, Gary Belcher, these sort of guys, I mean, to get any sort of award over that, over those sort of caliber of fellas, it says a lot about you. I think he's one of these guys that if he would have stayed in the media and stayed in the spotlight post-retirement, I think we would hold Bradley Clyde a lot higher than what we currently do. Yeah, I think Bradley Clyde, for me, is right up there as the greatest lock to ever play the game. I'm not sure if other people hold him that high. Um, but I just remember he was probably one of the best defenders as well around that time, um, if not the very best defender across the entire league. When I look at the greatest lock ever, it's probably controversial, but in my mind, I've got Jason Palmololo. I know you more view him as a middle forward under the new rules, which is I, I can't argue with that. That's correct. But um, when I do look at my greatest ever lock, personally, I've got Jason Palmololo, but I do think if there was a number two or anyone that could rival him, for my opinion, it would have been Bradley Clyde. I think Bradley Clyde too, mate. I think he's one of the fittest players to ever play our game. I mean, you, the, the way that he used to attack, you used to see him take the hit up on third or fourth tackle. Then he'd be the first guy to make the two hit ups. He'd lead, lead the kick chase. His motor, it was just unbelievable for, for the time. And there's still, for me, there's no one like that in the modern game. And the way that he was able to run, I mean, the closest guy I think comes to Bradley Clyde in our modern game is Cam Murray. When he is at his absolute best with his quick play the balls and the runs that he takes. But I don't think we're ever going to see another Bradley Clyde, to be honest with you, mate. He just had something that no one else has ever had in our game before. I think he's an incredible footballer. Let's move to our bench, mate. And we're going to dive into Jersey 14, which is our utility. Now, we obviously mentioned before, we considered Jack White in here, but we found a spot for him in the centers. Uh, a number of guys that could have filled in here. Obviously, Todd Carney, when he was playing rugby league in Canberra, he was unreal. He was crazy. Anthony Milford is another one that he quite often wore Jersey 14, but he was untouchable in his Canberra Raiders days. And I think people forget just how good he was there. Simon Wolford is another guy. Clinton Chavosky we thought about here. We ended up going for Terry Campese. And, I mean, when you look at our criteria, Terry Campese at his peak, dare I say, at his absolute peak, he was the best player in our game for a short period of time. Yeah, it was a short period of time. I believe it was only one season there. But in that one season, he was untouchable. I believe he had the most tri-assists across the league that season as well. Um, and like I said, under our criteria where players are selected at their peak, when Terry Campisi was at his peak, he was untouchable. He was unsuspecting. He didn't look like a big athlete. He didn't have amazing speed, amazing strength, but he was a fantastic rugby league player and probably the best in the NRL, uh, which would have surprised a lot of people given his sort of stature um, at that time also. Mate, you could have given Terry Campisi 12 planks of wood around him when he was at his peak and you still would have had a team in the finals. He was... I think people still forget just how good this guy was at his absolute 
peak, a freakish player. Obviously went to play State of Origin in one of those series under Craig Bellamy. Didn't quite go to plan. He didn't get another shot at it. Uh, injuries as well. This career was derailed by injuries on a number of occasions, but a brilliant player, Terry Campese. You've got a lot of time for him. Let's move to Jersey 15, mate. And uh, I actually remember being there for this guy's debut. I believe he made his debut at Shark Park. He came off the bench that night for the Canberra Raiders. Sean Fensum, uh, obviously a guy that played for a number of years at the Canberra Raiders, then moved to the Cowboys. I was there at that grand final. We had that horrific injury. I was... I was 200 metres away, and God, it was hard to watch. Um, obviously, then finished his career with the Brisbane Broncos, played a handful of games there. It was a unbelievable effort to come to return to the NRL from that injury. But one of the best offensive players we've ever seen, Sean Fensum. I know a lot of the super coach people that are listening right now, they will remember Sean Fensum, an unbelievable footballer. Yeah, I look at Sean Fensum, and I, I use this term a lot with current players. I use the term workhorse a lot on my page. Uh, but Sean Fensum, for me, was one of the, you know, the very, not the very first, but one of the workhorses that I remember most because his defense was just crazy. He just would not stop tackling. He was probably the next best or um, next best defender as far as volume is concerned for me um, since Nathan Highmarsh. You know, these are two men that in particular, Sean Fenton, that just would tackle all game. Their gas tank never, never ran out either. They just kept tackling. When the Raiders let him go at the end of 2016, yes, he wasn't in the best form, but I just think on what he offers you in heart, you can't coach heart. And Sean Fenton had so much of it. I do think them letting him go at the end of 2016 was probably a mistake. They could have kept him for a few more seasons because whilst you know he might not have been as fast, he might not maybe have been as fit or strong, he still had the most, one of the biggest hearts I've ever seen at least. Mate, the next man on our bench, uh, he was the Canberra Raiders captain for a long time. One of their favourites, Alan Tung. Uh, once again, we come back to that word underrated. I feel like you could say that for Sean Fensum and for this guy. But Alan Tung, obviously on our bench here, played a number of positions as well. Played a lot of hooker, a lot in the second row, but a lot of football at lock as well. A real versatile guy. Probably very similar to Sean Fensum, except Sean Fensum didn't really have the ball playing that Alan Tung did. But for a long time, this guy was just a stalwart of the Canberra Raiders, wasn't he? Yeah, I used to love watching Alan Tung play, you know, primarily lock, but I do remember he could play hooker, he could play back row, he could play anywhere. I remember he, he's, uh, you used to always see his red head coming out of the uh, headgear that he always used to wear. Fantastic player, underrated. I know we've said that about so many Raiders here. Potentially that's because they, a lot of these players never did get the premiership, but underrated, fantastic player. And I do remember he retired quite young, actually. He probably still had a few more seasons in him. The thing I most remember Alan Tung for, though, it actually wasn't an on-the-field moment. I remember someone brought a, a, a crowd, a, sorry, a sign into the crowd um, at a Raiders home game, and it said um, that they were versing Willie Mason, and it said, who needs a big Willie when you've got a great tongue? Obviously, in <laughs> reference to both their names. I, that, I, for some reason, I'll never forget that crowd sign. It's the greatest I've ever seen across any sport. And um, unfortunately for Alan Tung, that's actually what I remember most of his career. Mate, it's, it's something that I remember as well, a cracking moment there. And, um, mate, the, the last guy on our bench, now this guy, I mean, he, he might be Jersey 17, but if this bloke isn't a top 10 player for the Canberra Raiders ever, we're kidding ourselves. Now, Jason Croker, he played more than 300 games for the Canberra Raiders, but more importantly, those 300 games were made up of one game at fullback, 44 games on the wing, 48 at centre, 57 at 5'8", 1 in the front row, 49 in the second row, and 108 at lock forward, 10 off the pine as well. So the only two positions he didn't play for the Canberra Raiders was halfback and was hooker. Simply unbelievable. 
Well, when you look at the stats there, that probably makes him the most versatile player in NRL history. I certainly cannot remember, you know, there might have been players that have played one or two games out of position, but some of the numbers you were putting up there were 40-plus games, which is more than two seasons um, or almost in two different positions, uh, sorry, multiple different positions, which is absolutely insane. When I remember Jason Croker, I remember him coming into the NRL of being a great player, but his leadership was something that really improved as he as his career went on. Um, the more and more years he found, the more uh, played, sorry, the more comfortable he started to feel around, obviously, the playing group. And that's shown with his leadership improving and improving. Um, but when, if you have to remember Jason Croker for one thing, obviously, with what you've just said, it would most definitely have to be his incredible versatility. And as you said, mate, like more more than 40 games in a lot of those, he played more than 40 games at wing, centre, five, eight, second row, and at lock. It is It really is amazing. And I mean, that's obviously only games that he was named to start in a certain position. I mean, I'd be shocked if at some point there he didn't jump in to play hooker at some point. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he played every position for the Canberra Raiders at some point. An incredible footballer. And I mean, the 300-game club... Pretty impressive to get in there as well. I mean, considering all these positions he's jumping around and playing, you know, the, the, we see these really versatile guys like him and Orbison. They're sort of um, the exception to the rules. So is Johnny Morris. A lot of these guys, their careers fade a lot earlier, don't they? Yeah, definitely. There's quite a few players in the NRL currently that actually have this issue. Probably the first one that comes to my mind is Connor Watson. You know, he's so versatile that he struggles to lock down a spot. And that is full credit to someone like Jason Croker that you said that whilst he's so versatile and he can be used in so many ways, a coach looks at him and he says, you know what, I don't care what number you have on your back. I don't care what role you do for me. You are staying at this club and you are in this team every single week. And that's full credit to him. And, mate, I think it says even more about him that he played so many positions. But of his 300 games, only 10 of them off the bench. I mean, he's a guy that probably would have been perfect to have on your bench every week. But as you said, he always had to have him in the starting 13. Mate, that's our uh, that's our best 17 for the Canberra Raiders from 98 onwards. Obviously, a couple of controversial ones that played minimal football after 98. Uh, so there'll be a heap of pushback to this one, which I completely understand. But a list of guys that I've got that didn't make this team, I've got at the very top, Dave Ferner, obviously a club legend. For me, he was the hardest to leave out. We mentioned Todd Carney, Anthony Milford. At their best, they were unreal. Simon Wolford was fantastic over a long time. Clinton Chavosky, he was a guy that I grew up watching as, as the main num- number one for the Canberra Raiders. He was a hard guy to leave out. Uh, Adam Mogg, I mean, remember when he got picked out of absolute obscurity to play Origin? He absolutely killed it there. He was a guy that played so well for the Canberra Raiders for so long. Another guy that his career, I mean, he's had an unbelievable career, but I remember this guy as a young guy, and I'm sure you'll have plenty of, of memories, Josh Dugan. When he burst onto the scene with that white headgear, he was just untouchable for the Raiders, wasn't he? He was probably the most exciting player to come into the NRL. And he came in at a time where Billy Slater was the best fullback, but there were players like, uh, there was your Jared Haynes, your Ben Barbers. And the question was starting to be asked, will Billy be able to hold on to the title? Will he be able to remain the best fullback? And then all of a sudden, this kid out of Canberra, Josh Dugan, comes onto the scene. And I remember all the attention diverted straight to him. And everyone wanted to watch the Raiders because he was so exciting. And he created so many opportunities for that club. And, mate, of course, the infamous uh, cruises on the rooftop with his good mate Blake Ferguson. He was another one that at the Canberra Raiders, at his peak, he was unbelievable. I remember watching him do a chip over the top try. I believe it was against the Melbourne Storm when he was playing for Canberra. You know, he's obviously gone on to have a fantastic career, but when he was when he was down there in Canberra, it was just something different. Joel Thompson's another one. He's obviously moved on. He's in England now, but his career at the Raiders was sensational. Uh, two front rowers that were 
pretty unlucky, but you obviously couldn't keep Papali or Ruben Wiki out of this side. Dave Shillington and Brett White, two kangaroos. They were brilliant footballers as well, weren't they? Probably another one as well, Tom Leroy Lars. I yep. think he played for Australia whilst he was at the Raiders. But overall, I think with everyone you've just sort of mentioned there, the reason why it becomes so difficult, and there are so many, I suppose, options for this Raiders side, for me, it comes back to because there's no premiership there. You know, with all the players you've just said are so great that you put them next to each other, similar numbers, similar stats, similar rep gains, etc. At the peak of their powers, similar. Um, but then because there's no premiership to split them, it, it really leaves the door open with, and it adds so much subjective and it makes this list really, really hard um, to come up with. Mate, the last two guys on my list of guys are unlucky. We've mentioned both of them. Joey Leilua. I mean, anyone that messaged me and says he should be in the centres, I won't argue with you. I think it's a fair call. Uh, we went with Jack White and Jared Croker, but, geez, it was hard to leave Leilua out, wasn't it? It was, and the thing with Joey Leilua was, although we do go off players at the peak of their power, and he was obviously exceptional there, there was actually quite a few seasons at the Raiders where he was awarded centre of the year. So he was obviously consistent at his time across the Raiders as well. It wasn't as if he just had the one great season. You know, Leipana with Jordan Rapana there was a thing for several seasons. And Joey Leilua was the most damaging centre in the NRL at one stage there for the Raiders also. Sia Soliola is the last guy on my list, mate. Got a lot of time for Sia, but uh, as far as this forward pack goes, I'm not sure who we would take out. And that's just the reality with these 17s. Uh, mate, who have we got coming up next? Uh, I'm not too sure next. We'll get on the phone tomorrow. Probably we'll look at the Cronulla Sharks, Titans, and Seagulls in next sequence. So stay tuned for those three in some order. Clarky, mate, thanks for joining us once again. Cannot wait to dive into those three with you. Sure, really looking forward to it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 